Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast today. This is episode number 282, and our guest is Nick Sabo. Nick is pretty much a regular hunter like you and I, but he has a good amount of experience uh, hunting in Alaska prior, as well as in his current context in the Dakotas, where he especially hunts mule deer, as well as predators, turkeys, and really everything else. We speak with Nick about a ton of topics, including some lessons he's learned from old timers, some mule deer tactics, especially on stalking, and how his context of hunting mule deer in the Dakotas differs from the high country tips and tactics that you often see out there. We also get into some shooting technique. Nick is an accomplished uh, and proficient shooter, both on archery as well as with rifles. And we discuss some challenges such as shooting a bow in the wind and much more. So this is a very helpful episode. If you, like me, don't hunt mule deer in the Dakotas, you're still going to take a ton away from this. I know that I personally did. Uh, Before we dive into that conversation, just wanted to remind you guys about the May giveaway that's happening here currently in May of 2021. So you can leave a podcast review, you can share the show on Instagram and tag at Hunt Backcountry, or you can email us with your hunting question or topic suggestion to podcast at exomountgear.com. If you do any of these actions in May, you will earn the chance to win a $250 gift card from Gear, just as our way of saying thank you for the support and feedback of the show. So go ahead and hit pause, do that now, and tune right back in. Let's dive right into this conversation with Nick Sabo. Well, Nick, welcome to the podcast today, man. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. How about you guys? Good. Appreciate it. We were just uh, chatting before the recording here. That's You've had a kind of a crazy 72 hours fighting a wildfire. Um, so I guess that leads us into asking the question, just to give some introduction background for kind of who you are, what you do, and let listeners get a, a little bit of perspective to meet you. And we'll obviously talk a whole bunch of hunting here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, my name is Nick, Nick Sabo. I, uh, I grew up in Ohio, um, hunted, hunted whitetails most of my life, and then uh, joined the military um, to be a firefighter. And traveled around, spent five years in Alaska, um, around Fairbanks and then settled here in South Dakota. Um, it's where I'm currently at. I, I was in the military for, for six years uh, as a firefighter and then got out and I'm, I do the same thing. I'm a civilian firefighter, but I'm still, uh, still working on a military installation. So it's been a great career. That's, uh, talk kind of, you know, taken me all around for, from the hunting and fishing world, which is really one of my passions uh, excluding my, my profession, but, uh, but yeah, so just, just been around, got linked up with these darn mule deer out here and, and it's kind of been a wash ever since. Can't seem to get away from them. I, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just what I love to do. Um, some, something about the open terrain, I've been, uh, you know, tortured by tree stands, my, in the, in the beginning of my hunting career and the ability just to, just to go out here is, um, has been appealing for me. So I love it do mostly all archery, um, have taken a few deer with a rifle, but, uh, definitely my passion would be archery hunting mule deer for sure. That's cool, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're definitely gonna dive into that. And that was sure. you know, one of the <clears throat> bigger topics I want to talk to you about is just kind of for your context, uh, being there mm-hmm. in South Dakota and hunting different country than, uh, right. what gets a lot of the press is all the high country stuff. Right. So we'll dive sure. into <laughs> yeah. understanding mm-hmm. mule deer and how you hunt them and what tactics from a high country perspective do apply what don't and what are some of those differences because right that can help some folks for sure i'm curious mm-hmm. uh you mentioned ohio and being tortured by tree stands have you gone back to hunt whitetails at all now that you, know, you have I, your western I experience on, uh, i did so i did not recently um i was still in the military at the time and uh this it was talking about contrasts um i was i was in alaska uh, I was up there for about a year and a half before I came home. And I mean, I remember, and I got into archery hunting, but, uh, deer, no one in my family hunts, my dad never did. So it was a self-taught via failure for a long time. I mean, I started, started bow hunting when I was about 14, just kind of by myself. And 
And uh, I remember my dad had a, uh, a friend that owned a campground. And in the wintertime, obviously, campgrounds aren't, aren't at least in Ohio, aren't very loaded. So it was kind of a free spot to hunt. And I remember, I think, um, the guy's name was Mark Gilmore, but I think he had about, I don't know, maybe 25 acres, which seemed like an infinite abyss at the time, you know, just a huge piece of land that I'd never touched the edges of. Um, but yeah, so I went back and anyway, when I went back after, when I was in the military, I went back and I just, I just felt like I was for one, like fishing in a bathtub. And for two, it was just like, I cannot sit in this tree any longer. So it was, <laughs> it was, uh, anyway, not, not to knock it, that, you know, it's, it's definitely an art, um, that I know a lot of guys have crazy good success with, and that is an absolute passion of theirs. And, that, and I'm not trying to say that's not legit. It's just, just not for me. Um, with my my hunting ADD and the the willingness to or the curiosity to know what's over the next hill just gets me, especially these days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a change of subject before we dive into mule deer, but I wanted to bring this up, and I'm sure it's gonna probably lead you to talk about mule deer a bit. But I want to bring sure. this up because it was timely, and it came up in a conversation we were having a week or mm-hmm. two ago. Yeah, uh, and that was just about you mentioned you this time of year you shed hunting um, sure and it's not for you just about getting out and collecting sheds but you're kind of using that as quote-unquote like practice right like you're there to learn something that mm-hmm. can apply to your hunts yeah, no question uh, yeah. yeah steve and i don't don't shed hunt shed hunt much haven't talked about it on the podcast much and so sure when that came up with us chatting i thought man that'd be cool to talk about a bit because it's it's something we don't cover much but i'm specific yeah not about how do you go find sheds, mm-hmm. but more mm-hmm. when you're shed hunting, how are you, how are you using that as information intel to learn something for your hunt? Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a great question. It is something that I've kind of stumbled upon the last three or four years, you know, diving into mule deer hunting more and more is, and, and it, granted I'm, I'm hunting a lot of the same ground, a lot, a lot of the same public. Um, so I don't, and I, it's, I don't go into a lot of the areas that I hunt. Like when, you know, when I'm glassing deer, I won't go into their bedrooms ever unless my intention is to get within 30 or 40 yards of one and stick them. Like I just, I don't, I don't put any pressure. I don't explore that area. I just get up on a high spot and, and use my glass almost exclusively. Um, and then the only times I will go in those areas that I'm seeing deer is this time of year. And, um, I'll go in there and obviously you find sheds. I got a black lab that likes to find sheds. That's honestly probably one of the reasons I do it as much as I do. It's just fun working him. But um, anyway, so we go in there and and it's incredible, especially on public. I mean, you look at some public lands here and they get hit pretty hard. Um, granted, you get two or three ridges in and your, your competition is substantially lowered. But um, I, I assume that's probably true about anywhere. Um, but anyway, so I, you know, we look at when we're looking for sheds, I, I always, you know, go look at anywhere I've seen a deer bed. I'll go down there. Almost always there's multiple beds that I have not seen from my glassing point. So I'll, G, I'll kind of GPS them or, or sometimes take, take pictures or at least very, at least take a mental note of, you know, what, when would a deer bed down in here and what would the wind be like more than likely here in South Dakota, the, the you know, we have a lot of heavy winds that are predominantly out of the north or sometimes we'll get a really warm south wind like today um but those beds correlate more so to wind than almost anything else i mean they'll even sit in the sun out here all day as long as they're not getting beat with 30 and 40 mile an hour winds so you know shed hunting has helped me just look at okay if i get a heck of a south wind today judging by i've already been there earlier last spring I know what beds to go check or at least know, you know, what beds I can, I can think maybe though, if they're not there and I see them on a hillside or something, I can probably predict their route of travel. And that, you know, that obviously helps you out infinitely. And then it's it's just, it's just been a great, a great idea as far as that it just kind of gets you in tune. And and I'm, I'm, you're also setting foot in the areas you're going to stock deer on. So, that's helped me immensely as well as like, okay, I remember that big snag in there, that big deadfall. If I can get to that, I've literally been there before. So it's not all virgin country or virgin like experiences when, you know, when it's crunch time and you're trying to close in 
to that deer, you're like, oh yeah, there's that cattle trail or there's that old deer trail. I can get in there silent because I've been there in the spring, you know, and, and that's just, that's just helped me. I don't know. A lot of guys maybe not be able to do that. They, maybe they hunt new ground all the time. And, and I do too, but there's definitely areas that have produced, um, and chances are you find a big, a big gnarly set of sheds. You're, you're going to want to go check it out the next year to see if that creature's still in there. So yeah. it just, uh, yeah, just, I just kind of look at it when I'm shed hunting from a hunting perspective and I'll, I'll, I'll range stuff, you know, like if I get around like a big wash, I'll range like, okay, how far is it from this wash to the other bank? And then that I've done that three or four times in the years trying to get guys deer or whatever is you can get this deer bedded in this wash. Well, I know exactly how far that is. Cause I ranged it last spring. I know exactly, you know, you're going to want to be, you're going to want your site dialed to 46. I know it's that bed is 46 from that tree. And you can do that with your range finder a lot of times, but you got to expose yourself. Well, now we don't have to because we've been there before. So yeah. those are just some things that we've, you know, that I've tried and that I've kind of tried to show a few other guys at like uh, Fort that was on your guys's podcast like a couple of weeks ago. You know, we, we've, we've kind of developed those strategies and, and they've been working. So that's cool, man. There's there's a, a lot in there that you had on. Yeah, I mean, hopefully that answers your question a little bit. But yeah, mainly mainly for terrain familiarization. Like, yeah, you get a you get a, these big bucks if they get some pressure on them, you can glass these hillsides for a long time and maybe not see anything. But if you know where a couple sweet beds are that have been like generational beds, you know where like bucks of generations have you know they sleep in because those things are like caves you can drive a pickup truck within 30 yards and they're not even going to lift their head. Um, so it's just a matter of finding those areas and, and finding the glass corresponding glassing points to create those angles to where you might be able to catch an ear or a main or a main beam or something like that. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's just a, a way that's really worked for us out here and, and uh, I'm going to continue to do it because it's, it's, it's been, a, and it's fun too. It's just fun to obviously shed hunts cool and uh, I enjoy it, but, it just gives you so much more to think about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like the deer for you don't, mm -hmm. you know, they don't have like too much of a summer winter ground or, you know, migrate much. They kind of hang out within a court area for, for most of the year. Yeah, then. I, I would say so. I don't see them moving a ton. The only, the only time you'll get some strangers, like the deer I shot this year, I'd never seen that deer before. And, and that was on uh, December 16th. And, and that deer was just putting on miles, um, to continue as, you know, looking for does and whatnot. So you'll get, that's the only time of year where I see a lot of movement, yeah. um, from, from a, a buck standpoint, uh, not unlike any other place probably, but, you know, as far as that big migration that you hear about, especially if you're talking like high, high country versus low country and all that stuff, like everything around here is pretty survivable mm -hmm. year round. And I assume you couldn't, you can't say that for you know, some of those high country areas, like those deer are just not going to live there all year because they can't. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, that's one thing that I think is unique about that context and guys could keep in mind with shed hunting is there's, there's certain mm -hmm. contexts where you can't, yeah, you can learn some things from shed hunting, but you're really just in their wintering grounds and things are totally different come fall yeah, come hunting right. season. Right. Yeah. Whereas for no. you, because they're not moving as much, like you're mm -hmm. in the same country and you can really sure. have, more experience to pull from that right right Dude, yeah, just the, go, ahead, go back to whether it's locating beds and marking mm -hmm. that whether it's you were talking about terrain and how you're using mm -hmm. that even potentially for a stock or certain ranges like you're there's a lot of information there that you rattled yeah. rattled off yeah. on on context sure is that something for you personally that like you just retain that well, or do you, you do make notes on that? Cause there's a lot going on in what you said there. Yeah, where I could see like um, in the moment it's easy to piece that together, but sure. eight months later or a year later, like yeah. how are you retaining that? You know, it's, it's funny. Uh, you know, I, a lot, I have a lot of good friends that I, I hunt with and pheasant hunt with and all this stuff. And I'm horrible. You get me in downtown rapid city. I still couldn't name five streets, but I can tell you when my buddy Thomas shot that pheasant, <laughs> behind this tree you know what i mean three years ago you know so yeah. i guess i have a selective memory um when it comes to that crap but Just i uh, to be honest stuff. to be honest with yeah i guess important important is relevant to the to the holder i guess but yeah i uh i 
I remember it, a lot of it. Um, I don't take notes on, on a lot of that stuff, but uh, I will, I use Onyx a lot, you know, as, and, and I will, if I, if I find something that, that I really think is like important, I will use Onyx and I'll drop a point and in the notes section, I will, you know, throw some stuff in there relevant to the situation, especially when like a lot of times if I, if I don't, if I can't remember, or I think this is going to be a, a, a bed I really want to check or, or even just a draw. I really want to check. I'll write in there, you know, what the ideal or, or really what a no-go wind would be as far as that's just not, a, not possible, you know, don't go in there and screw that up, mm-hmm. you know, just, just, you know, notes in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'll kick this to, I want to hear from Nick and Steve, you as well. And this just was a random question that came up since we mentioned Onyx about, I feel like an Onyx, you know, I started using it. They just didn't have as many features or as many options as they do now in a lot of ways. Uh, and they've expanded, you know, you can have waypoints marked with a certain color, with a certain, you know, logo, right? Like, is this a wallow? Is this, you know, a buck? Is this a bull? Is this a water access point? Whatever. I've been terrible about being even close to like systematic with Onyx and like everything's just like a red pin (laughs) and it's not now that I'm like multiple states, multiple years worth of information. Sometimes it's just like, God, I wish there was a, I I wish I had a better system or a better way to like organize all this intel without just clicking around and looking around. So uh, Steve, do you do anything specific in Onyx or any other system to kind of like help you kind of quickly identify stuff? Um, the one thing I've done that kind of hits on the same topic here is go, it, even if in the heat of the moment in a hunt, I just drop a pin, I can go back um, and it just seems to be easier just to open up your laptop and go in and edit those even after the season is done, add mm-hmm. the color, add an icon, change the title of it. Uh, sometimes you're not going to remember everything, but for the most part, like Nick's saying, like you, when you're hunting, you seem to have a good memory. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, so I'll go back. It just seems an easy way to do it. I have been for quite a few years there. I was like uh, more so in the, in the Garmin uh, Earthmate app. I was very good about um, really marking water sources, potential camping spots, mm-hmm. um, those are the two, like probably the two things for me on a, like a backpack hunt, uh, like even like Mark, where you killed your bull this year, um, you know, just across the ridge from that when I was bow hunting the, you know, I was just middle of the day and I came across a spot and, and in that country, there's not many places you can pitch a tent. So mm-hmm. I ended up marking like, I, I know I can camp right here. So, you mm-hmm. know, a few years later down the road, you're like, it's getting dark and you're chasing an elk and you got that data there. Like, Oh, it's only half a mile up the ridge. There's a flat spot. So, yeah. um, I've been hit and miss about doing a good job marking it, but at the very least I try to drop a pin and said, and then go back, you know, whether it's like get home and it's the next week or sometimes it's like in December, I'll log into Onyx and go back in there and and edit stuff. And then you can between Earthmate and Onyx, you can download all of your points and then, and drop them over. So I'll typically um, just do that as well. So that I kind of sync my points between both apps. Mm, Cool. Yeah, Nick, for you, do you have any sort of system yeah, organization? I mean, I I can't deny if, if I back out of if I back out of the state of South Dakota, it basically just looks like a red blob of pins. Um, <laughs> but, it, but when you, I thought about it this year because I think I think you're right. Onyx has put a lot of work into all of the features and icons and colors and all this other stuff. Um, at the very least, um, you know, when like I do a fair amount of turkey hunting too here in a little bit, and I'll. I, I was kind of made the decision like any points that I make this year on, on uh, like turkeys is going to be a certain color. And then, you know, like the species, I'm basically going to, going to make those certain colors that way. Maybe I can separate them a little bit more because it's just a sea of red at the moment. Um, granted, I, like Steve was saying, you, you have a selective memory when it comes to that stuff. And I can probably decipher why and when I put that pin there. Um, but it's just a matter of, I do need to organize it a little bit better and I I'm going to try and do a better job of that this year for sure. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. as guys can probably already tell from listening to you, uh, Nick, you're, it seems to me like very 
thorough in how you think about stuff, right? So you're not just going, oh, there's a deer bed. You're going, oh, there's a deer no. bed. It's yeah. probably used this way. It would be best approached from this direction. It's not huntable in this wind. Like you're, you're very thorough and all that. And I remember we were chatting a couple of weeks ago and tying this to your experience in Alaska, you mentioned to me, you met someone up there. I think you said mm-hmm. he was an old timer and yeah. you kind of learned from him to kind of slow down Sure. Really think about things right. and stay curious and ask questions. So I just want to yeah. kind of pull on that idea a little bit because to me, I see that in you and I'm sure that that's a massive factor in the success that you've had. So well, I, who was that guy that you met up there yeah, and um, can begin to kind of that is a, uh, that is a whole different podcast and a half. I'll try and sum <laughs> up this guy, but, uh, anyway, um, you know, growing up, I'm 35, you know, you know, growing up, you know, it was, uh, I didn't have a lot of people to learn from. So I, you know, I just, I kind of started, my dad was a big fisherman, but when it came to hunting, um, you know, he just never did it. And I can't really tell you why I got into hunting other than I remember in like fourth grade, this is date myself a little bit, but my, one of my best friends, Mark Hadley, um, it was show and tell. If you guys remember show and tell, if that was even a thing when you guys were in school, but anyway, um, he brought in his bow <laughs> to school <laughs> and, and, uh, he was, and he showed, he did a little show and tell presentation on his bow. And, uh, so that's how I got into hunting. I was like, Hey, I want to do that. That looks cool. So anyway, after that, I, we, uh, I, I, I was in Alaska. I had been hunting for, you know, probably 10 or 15 years at this point and had, had good success, but not, um, I don't know if the right word, I, I didn't appreciate the success that I was having. I kind of just got caught up in like, if I'm going deer hunting, I want to kill a deer. If I'm going bear hunting, I want to kill a bear. And, and, and it wasn't a whole lot more than that. I mean, it was fun. I loved it. Um, if that's, if that's your, you know, what you're want to do and you're super, you know, passionate about just, just killing one and knocking it down, that's fine. Um, but I, then I met Joe, uh, this guy's name was Joe Jangles. Um, he was an auto worker and in, in uh, Michigan worked for uh, GM. He made made huge dyes that they would press car doors out of his whole life. He worked for 40 years, retired. He uh, got up to Alaska. Um, he found in a, in a pay, an article in the paper, um, a guy was doing some adventure deal. This was back in the seventies. Um, and that's how he got up in Alaska. He flew a Cessna up there, took multiple days. They broke down multiple times. Um, their, their plane went down a few times in Canada and they got arrested by the Canadian military for a couple of days. Um, <laughs> just freaking, just absolute crazy stuff. Um, his job he was an outdoorsman. So his job was literally to provide food, um, to hunt. That's all his job was that. And his job was to, if they were going to go down, he had to pump up this little life raft and that was their, their little getaway deal is, all right, Joe, you got to pump up the life raft. We're going to try and ditch this plane in the water. We're going to get out. That was like his two jobs, food and life raft. So anyway, they, they're heading up there. They get up there and, and he had been up there ever since. And uh, anyway, I, I got to go on a couple of hunts with Joe. And for one, he could walk the legs off of me. This guy was probably 70 years old, 75 years old, weighed about 110 pounds. And I swear he just made a steal. The guy, you know, he just, he just didn't didn't slow down. He he's killed probably. I went to his, he has a little cabin up North of uh, North pole, well, geographic, not geographical North pole, but the town of North pole, Alaska. Um, I think he's killed in the neighborhood of the high twenties or low thirties. As far as doll sheep, um, you just got the tons of hunts. And um, I went on a bear hunt with him once he invited me to go. And, you know, someone like that, you go in there in their house and it is just covered, you know, ceiling to floor, with just the coolest mounts and, and you would never, Joe's not one of those guys you would ever even know that he was a hunter. He doesn't talk about it much, but you go to his cabin, there's no denying that this guy, this is all he does his whole life, you know? And anyway, I went on a bear hunt and I was sitting in the stand with him and it's, you know, during bear season up there, it doesn't get dark. You kill most of your bears at like one o'clock in the, in the morning and still daylight out. And uh, we get in the stand at about 10 o'clock at night. And there's birds hitting the bait, like there's bait pile of dog food and all kinds of things. And there's little red, uh, red squirrels and birds. And, and I, I'm not kidding you. Joe is getting just as excited 
as far as watching these birds and pointing them out. And then we get bears coming in and they're fighting along the, the bait pile and, and, and climbing trees and running each other off. And, and I, I honestly had more fun with just sitting there watching Joe, uh, a man that had hunted, you know, three or four lifetimes as I, as I am old, um, you know, just, he didn't even care about the bears. He was there for everything else. And, and, and it was just neat to see, it just threw a whole, threw me for a whole different perspective. I'm like, man, what have I been missing? You know, like, and I say like, you know, torture by tree stand back when I was a kid, you know, like if I would have just appreciated a little bit more as far as like, you know, looking at animal behavior and, and all of that, like he did. And, and, and so that's kind of how I look at it now is, you know, I'm, I'm obviously there to, to arrow a, a, a deer that I see fit to shoot, but I, I don't, I don't wrap everything up in that, you know, I, last summer I, or last fall, you know, watching coyotes eat grasshoppers the size of chapsticks, you know, like just, just watching them, you know, watching coyotes move around and watching other deer and how other bucks push other bucks and how, you know, how grouse continue to feed on hillsides and like just in knowing first off knowing where grouse are because those little dudes are like landmines on a deer stock. Um, <laughs> those things are, if you, you do want to know where grouse are at, if you're trying to move on a buck, because I've had multiple times where these grouse will, will bust out of there and these freaking deer look up at you. So anyway, different story, but sorry, I got it. <laughs> b1 bomber flying over the house right now i don't know if you could hear that in the background but yeah i heard a little bit of something yeah <laughs> yeah right by the i'm right by the base here so. but yeah i don't know just just meeting joe and seeing his really carelessness for the ultimate like is this going to be a successful hunt or an unsuccessful hunt that didn't matter to him granted he's you know has an infinite amount of experience under his belt but i think that we all can learn from that a little bit as far as just you know, whether you're taking kids out or you have a, a new, a buddy that hasn't ever done, you know, say a mule deer hunt, like obviously you're, you're going mule deer hunting to shoot a mule deer, but show them how much more there is to it. As far as, you know, sitting up a hillside glass and like, you don't have to disregard the, you know, whatever you're seeing, like, like in, throw some emphasis that way and be like, man, okay. So I've seen, I saw these coyotes work this Ridge. I bet you he's going to do this or I wonder if they're going to continue or look out for more pups. There could be more pups or, Hey, I bet the female is close to that male somewhere in that draw. I'm sure they're hunting and sure enough, they are, you know, and it's just, it's just cool. It's cool to be in tune. Cause that's going to help you anyway, when yeah. you do make a move on a deer, but just being a little more in tune with what's going on and not being so wrapped up in like, man, I'm going to kill this deer and, and post it online. You know, like that's just, <laughs> that's not what it's for, you know? And, and, yeah. and I, I don't mean to go off on a tangent there, but just this morning, there was a guy busted in South Dakota that shot a big mule deer buck and he only had a whitetail tag. Of course, it's a younger kid. And what did he do? He posted it on Instagram and all these other big buck pages and it wasn't even legal, but the kid did it anyway, just to get the, the likes or the, the grat you know, satisfaction of, of social media these days, you know, and it's just like, that's a, a potentially a, you know, it's a, it's a slippery slope that some, some hunters, you know, have a lot of value in that. And it's in, in this kid's case, that's the only way he got caught is just by posting it online, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. But no, watching Joe, watching Joe and watching how he, uh, you know, how he just appreciated everything um, made me appreciate everything, you know, as far as how, how I go about things. And honestly, if I, you know, if I didn't ever meet him and years went by and, and you and I go shed hunting today, I would have just been walking my legs off, head down, looking for sheds. But now I just look at it in a little bit different way. And lo and behold, it helps me, you know, it helped me out a lot. So, you know, that's, that's my experience anyway. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. I appreciate it. And like you said, yeah. it's interesting because on one hand, Joe was there to enjoy the whole process and not make mm -hmm. it just about the mm -hmm. end result of filling the tag. But as you said, sure. as you're paying attention to all those small things, it's honestly just going to help you anyway. Sure. Um, I mean, the guy was an absolute killer. I mean, he had, I don't even know that I saw a piece of drywall in his house. I mean, it was just all fur and feathers and fish. I mean, it was un unreal, but he just, uh, by, I think by paying attention to those things um, definitely is going to 
it, it ain't going to hurt you. We can just say that, you know, it's definitely not going to hurt. Yeah. What are, mm-hmm. can you think of any examples on just those little things that maybe you feel like hunters overlook or that you used to overlook that now you just, you pay more attention to it. You kind of see it and it makes a difference mm-hmm. for you. Um, so out here we have the, the luxury of, of, I guess, visibility, you know, you, you gain a little elevation here and get up on, on some high spots and, and throw some binoculars on a tripod. You can see everything you can see. The you know, most time you see the deer you want, you want to shoot. That's not the problem. The problem's getting from A to B undetected. And, and that's so hard to do. And, and I, when I first came out here, um, I had a lot of busted stocks, not because the deer that I wanted to shoot busted me. It's everything that was in my way trying to get over there did, you know? So nowadays, you know, if I see the deer I want to sh- shoot, I, I'll, I don't even move. I, I won't even pack my stuff. I mean, I just sit there for uh, probably every bit of an hour, depending on when the, when I see it um, and just look at my routes, you know, and look at, look at like literally glass, like I'm trying to find another deer glass, those routes that I need to go. And I can't see everything, but man, there's been multiple times where I I'll pick up a coyote in a draw that I plan on walking down and who knows where that sucker's going to go probably right towards the deer, according to Murphy's law, you know, like it just, it just going to happen. But mm-hmm. like, like I said, really the biggest thing that I've learned out here looking at the terrain we have is, is just planning, planning your route, not according to like, Oh, this would be the easiest way to get there, but planning my route as far as like, what is in my way, you know, did a covey of grouse just land in that tall grass I plan on bulldozing through or did, you know, are, are coyotes bedded down in there or are there other deer? I mean, most likely you're going to take, you know, all these areas that you're hidden from, from terrain, which are, little bottoms and little creek, you know, dry creek beds. Well, that's out of the wind. And most of the time the deer want to be out of the wind as well. So, you know, when you're seeing a buck dip off into his bed and you're like, all right, sweet. I have the perfect spot to get around. Well, a lot of times there's deer in those perfect spots too. So you may have to, you know, go spook deer somewhere else, you know, a, a three or four draws away and, you know, it's more work for you, but that's one of the biggest things I've learned is, just watching where all the other deer are excluding the deer or a group of deer that you want to go take a closer look at, you know, for everything, not just deer, but predators, birds, um, all that stuff is, and then obviously keeping the wind and all those principles in your favor, but, but more so just, just deer and and everything else. I've had a lot, I've spooked a lot of coyotes out of some nasty thickets that I, you know, just from walking through and of course they go over and then it's just a tidal wave of, you know, of stuff going from bridge to ridge before you know it, everything's alerted and it just makes for a longer day. So yeah, getting into more on the, the mule deer specific stuff. And again, maybe kind Mm -hmm. of in the context of comparing, contrasting what's typical high country talk, whether it's Mm -hmm. tactics, behavior, whatever, versus what you're encountering in a different context. Yeah. How do you feel deer, behave similar to what you hear in terms of patterning on high country stuff compared to what you see just in terms of you know the idea of timing of beds and do they bed and rebed or not sure and you know for and obviously there's changes throughout the season yeah um but for most of your hunting like what would you observe and going back to even as you said timing on making a stock like right when are you more urgent when are you more patient because of the deer's typical behavior, that type of thing? Yeah. Um, you know, so you always want to, you always want to be there regardless if you're, you're turkey hunting or fishing or, or mule deer hunting or whatever, you always want to be there at first light, you know, and be up in your, on your glassing point as the sun comes up. Um, and a lot of times I'll always do that, but shoot, there's a lot of times where I'm sitting there for about an hour and haven't seen a darn thing. And then about eight 30, nine o'clock when the sun, especially if it's cold, the sun starts to creep over and start warming some hillsides. Then I, then you get a lot of deer movement and those, those, those deer will be out, you know, grazing or, or it seems like they're just enjoying this, the warm up, you know, enjoying this, enjoying the sun and just sort of, you know, walking around or, or, you know, just kind of just checking stuff out. But, uh, but anyway, it seems like when those deer want to bed, at least the deer around here, when they want to bed, 
they will literally run to their beds sometimes. Um, I don't know if they're trying to beat out another, another group, you know, mainly early season looking at bachelor bucks. And I don't know if they're trying to beat out the, you know, other deer to like a certain spot they want to go to or what, but when they want to go, they do it. Um, whether it be a brisk walk or whatever. So long story short, I, as far as when, you know, I always try to get there early because I have seen big deer move super early, like to the point where you can just barely make out their, you know, their antlers or when they're in velvet. And, um, but then I've seen deer, I'll be looking over this, this ridge and, or, you know, like a, a cluster of cedars or whatever. And I'm just like, man, that just looks like there should be a deer in there. And sure enough, there was, he was in there all morning, but he didn't come out there until about nine 30, you know, and then he'll run across a ridge or two and then go bed in a more secure, more sunblocked spot. Um, you know, but, but in a, in a rule, I'll never, I'll never move on a buck unless you sat there for about an hour. Um, and, and even so depending on, and that also depends on the time of day too. Cause if he bedded down it at eight 30 in the morning, come noon, he's going to be getting cooked anyway. So he's going to move. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a matter of, he may move five or six feet on, you know, on the other side of a cedar or deeper or shallower into like a sand wash, or he may move five or 600 yards they do they do it all but i sure as heck want to be there when he does as far as on my glassing point versus you know i lost sight of him and all of a sudden you have these cedars marked and you come over the ridge and that's about the worst feeling in the world is you're knocked up with an arrow and all of a sudden he's not there well then you're you have no advantage at all and then that that has never really worked out great mm-hmm. for me anyway um yeah. But yeah, I, uh, they almost always move a few times and that, that can just be a little movement or a lot, mm. but I want to be really, really certain that he's going to stay there at least for however long I think it's going to take me to get to him. And, you know, I'm, that's usually I'm blasting anywhere from 500 to a thousand yards away most of the time. So however, you, however long you think you need to take to cover that, um, you know, as far as you being bet money that he's going to stay there and if you have a hunting buddy whew, that's so much better because he can stay on glass you make the stock you guys work a couple signals out you know as far as you look back through your binoculars at the spotter on the hill he'll give you an x or something with his hands if he's busted out of there or he gives you the thumbs up if he's still there that's a huge advantage if, if you have somebody that can just play that part yeah um, Guide you know you once, yeah, man, if he can bird dog you into a good spot and you guys can communicate, um, poof, that's a, that's a definitely winning, winning recipe for success there. But when you're by yourself, um, I sent, I just seem to move a lot slower and be a little more, a little more just dead certain that that's where he's going to spend the majority of his morning before I get up and move. Yeah. When it comes to glassing specifically, again, I'm just, comparing a lot of the high country stuff you guys talk about these giant basins and all that and obviously even not only the the size of the context of the terrain but from a from a micro level you're dealing with different types of cover uh, vegetation and all that in a high country scenario versus what you guys have so what do you feel is maybe common or different about glassing in the way that you do it and that could either be techniques it could be what you're looking for to spot deer it could be literally your even your glassing setup right like yeah yeah that's binos spotters all that so yeah um you know i don't have a ton of experience it's definitely on my high list of things to do is go on a high country mule mule deer hunt i've I've done multiple sheep hunts like up in alaska and stuff but not not something that's like high country and you're like eyes in glass trying to you know pick apart a, a sea of you know, shade cliffs and cuts and trees and all that. I would love to do that. Um, but out here there's a lot of like sandy washes, um, like kind of like not shale, but you know, kind of gravelly washes and then obviously cedar trees. And, uh, you know, and sometimes when I, when I'm going to a new place or, or even an old place and just want to get re familiar, like in the spring, I'll go out there at like 10, 11, you know, in, in the morning and just look for shade and the deer may not even be in there, but that's where they're going to be um, at some point, you know, is so, you know, a lot of times out here, I'll just hunt shade and, and look at what on this big chunk of ground, where is the most shade at? And how, and then looking at that, what glassing points are going to give me that vantage point as far as to look in there. And sometimes it's, 
you can only get three or 400 yards away. Sometimes you can get two miles away. Um, but it just kind of depends on, on what, what that is. But yeah, a lot of times it's just, it's just shade. Those mealies are going to bed down in some shade. And then if it's not shade, they're going to get out of the wind. Um, and, and so those bearing those two things in mind is that's pretty much it. And the only wild card on there that we talked a little bit about before the podcast started was water. Um, we're in an incredibly dry spell the last few years here in South Dakota. And so if you have a couple, you know, some cattle ponds or, um, a Creek or any kind of spring, you may have found some stuff. Once again, when you're shed hunting, it's like, Hey, I bet you this is wet most of the year. Um, definitely, you know, look in some draws that connect to those, those areas. Um, cause out here, you know, around the badlands and, and in those areas, water is a premium. So, but deer travel, deer, deer also travel a mile, two miles in the morning just to go get a darn drink and come back and tuck out of the wind. So it's not all water dependent, but that's a heck of a, you know, a heck of a place to check is all mm-hmm. the, all the draws and stuff that are going to connect to that water. And that's a lot easier to do here versus hiking some, you know, 12,000, 14 foot peak or something like that, just to go take a look. Um, you can do all that out here, but high country wise, that may be a half a day adventure just trying to see, I want to wonder what's over there. Yeah. You know, move camp and all that other stuff. So here, shoot, you can cover. I mean, I, I walk a fair amount. I could probably, you know, cover nine, 15, somewhere, somewhere in that nine or 15 miles a day, you know, just, just hoofing it on gradually sloped terrain, nothing crazy. Not like, not like what those guys are doing in the high country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When it comes to making approaches and closing the distance, how are you using terrain, vegetation, all that for both concealment or just any other kind of like lessons you've learned about really closing that distance for archery range and stalking? So you got to know where the, where the deer is. I mean, that's, that's, I won't, I won't move unless I know where that, that deer is. I've made that mistake too many times. So uh, it's a discipline where if I don't, if I cannot see that deer in a bed from say 500 yards away or, or further, sometimes you can get them, you know, if you're in a really good glassing spot with your spotter, you can be like, bam, there he is. I know where he is. And then you start planning out your route. But yeah, so after that, if say I, I get a deer and I know where he's at, um, then, then becomes, do you, do you go low and come at him from under or do you come high and come at him from over the top? And a lot of that depends on where the other deer are. Where, where's my shadow going to be? I mean, you can be on a 30 foot tall, like, you know, washout and you, you could be cast in a 30 foot shadow, um, you know, and, and that deer will see that shadow and just get nervous. And so just, you know, looking at where the sun is going to be, where your shadows are and uh, obviously wind, but man, I, I've had some deer just not flat out, not care about my wind. If it's blowing like 30, I don't know if it's just whizzing by them too fast or what, but um, I would say, you know, that I think I, I just can't, and maybe it's just the old white tail in me. Just, I think wind, it run, it runs my life for the most part, but um, I've had deer that are, you know, not, maybe not the deer I'm stalking. They'll be 15, 20 yards away. And my wind is just blowing in their face. And I think it's just maybe just going by too quick for them to get a good sample of it. You know, it's definitely, definitely not because I don't smell. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. That'd be, that'd be super interesting to know, like from a, I don't know if it's studyable, like from a scientific perspective, like <laughs> yeah, higher right. winds, like yeah. it makes sense. Not only is it moving faster, but I just wonder if, a more aggressive wind disperses the call it like the concentration of scent, right? Where it almost like it makes it seem like they they pick up a smell of something, but it seems further away, like it's less concentrated, it's less potent, or I don't know what all the are to that. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Um so like just just for example, my the deer I shot this year, um he went down in this like kind of a cathedral like bowl that had a lot of cedars in it it was a had i not been in that bowl before i don't know that i would have honestly seen him um but i didn't move on that deer not because i didn't have the terrain not because i i didn't quite know i knew where he was within about probably a living room size area um you know i I had him pegged probably in a 
a, maybe a, tw- a 30, say a, say a 30 yard chunk of ground, like a little square. I knew where he was, but I literally didn't move on that deer until the wind picked up because I, I knew that that thing was going to get me. If I do something wrong or stepped on something wrong, I knew he was going to blow out of there and probably not give me a ch- a chance. Or if he did, he gave me one of those rush shots at like 60 yards that I honestly don't feel wonderful about. So, um, this year was probably one of the most patient hunts that I had to be on where I, I knew where he was. And I literally sat on the ridgetop, like laying down on my back, just waiting for the wind to start blowing. <laughs> and, and it did. And it went picked up to a good, like 15 mile an hour wind out of the North. And I made one more look. I saw the does he was with. And then I saw one of his main beams feeding out beside a cedar. And I luckily he was right by a little half dead cedar that was really easy to pick out from any angle. And I came around the backside. I, I found that half dead cedar. I came over the edge of it and he was below me at like 26 yards, head down feeding, drew back, punched him right there. And, and that was, but that was the most patient I had been because I could have done that two hours earlier, but I wouldn't have had any wind. And when he looked, he looked up after I drew and I swear that deer looked right through me because I had a cedar behind me that was moving in the wind. And of course I was moving in the wind cause I was shaking like a girl. And <laughs> you know, when, when I was drawn back on him and I just, I just, he couldn't find me, not because he couldn't see me. We're staring at each other, but he could not find me due to all of that movement. Yeah. Um, so it just, it just worked out. And so like that, like on this one, just waiting, not that everything wasn't perfect because it was, but just waiting on the wind to pick up um, was something I probably wouldn't have done seven or eight mule deer ago. You know what I mean? I just, I wouldn't have learned my lesson yet. And I would have gone over that hill, you know, thinking I could probably just outsmart them or maybe draw real quick or whatever. But this year it worked out really well, just being patient, man. And it, it's way harder to, to do than, and then, then say for sure I'm, I'm, I'm unpatient sometimes, but I had enough discipline right now uh, this year where I, I was patient and everything worked out perfectly. Is there anything you found you have to do different shooting in the wind? <laughs> you know, I've tried a lot of crap, Steve. I've tried, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I shoot, I shoot in my yard on windy days all the time, trying to figure that out. Um, I would say the, the things that have helped me the most, uh, I don't, I don't want to get crazy into my setup, but I shoot a, an 80 pound, uh, Hoyt RX one, and I shoot about a 500 grain arrow, a thin, real thin arrow with, with, uh, mechanicals, um, due to wind, honestly, wind drift. And then I shoot a low prof, really low profile four fletch vein due to wind. And, uh, and, and I've felt like that's helped. That's helped me a lot. Just, just kind of defeat it. I just, you know, and not defeated as far as wind doesn't matter, but man, it's helped me a lot as far as drag and wind drift. And I'm a big rifle shooter. So I, I don't know, I, I say it wind drift and whatnot, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not shooting deer at hundred yards, banking on the wind, blowing my arrow, you know, 10, 10 inches or anything, but man, I can shoot in almost any kind of wind out to about 40 yards. And I'm not missing what I'm aiming at as far as like, within a, you know, a paper plate size target, not that that's my, you know, barometer of accuracy, but, um, that's my setup. And I, and I feel like that's worked real well. Um, I, I just can't, I can get them, um, a, a, a fixed blade shoot. Great. But man, you throw a 15 mile an hour sidewind in there and I just can't do it. And I don't know, I'm not saying you can't, but I just, I've had, it's just way easier for me with a mechanical a thin arrow still heavy and then that low profile four fletch has been any shooting form technique there like get low get low shoot off your knees yeah um sit down you know you just standing up you're saying gonna cut it uh a lot of times unless you have to but uh yeah and then i shoot i shoot a lot of different releases just for practice i shoot a hinge for practice and then a thumb um i i have the only reason I haven't shot a hinge, I haven't cut, killed a deer with it, is I'm so scared holding that thing back with the wind pushing my bow around. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I just feel like I'm just begging for a a, a rogue arrow. Um, 
you know, I just can't, can't get comfortable, but, and then just not fighting it. Like, you know, I've, I've been on full draw where a, a gust will blow me a deer and a half off, you know, like literally, uh, and don't panic, you know, like just that wind will stop or at least slow down. Or if you get tired, like just don't shoot, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're just fighting your bow and trying to do all this stuff, get closer. I mean, Mm-hmm. One of my best friends, the first year he got out here, we found a small basket rack buck and it was bedded in this, this shale wash. And I was like, go see how close you can get to that deer. And I, I'm not kidding you. He got within about six feet of the, of the thing. So like, but he had about a 20 mile an hour wind blowing at, you know, blowing in his face. And, you know, on those windy days, yes, it's way harder to shoot, but it's way easier to close distance. And on those windy days, that's about the only time I'll get inside 40 on a muley. I, I won't, I very rarely will I get inside 40 yards unless it's got to be the sweetest looking stock ever. And I'm super confident that I can pull that off, but those things just have an internal yeah. radar. You know, you get inside 40 yeah. yards, something's seeing you. And I, I just don't like to push that. I'd rather shoot a relaxed deer at 40 than one that's super tense at, at 30 uh, or 25 even um, just because you just don't know what's going on as far as how they're going to come out of there or whatever. And mm-hmm. that goes to, um, you know, I shoot a, I shoot a black gold uh, three pin mover and uh, shooting 80 pounds. My first pins 30, 30, I got a 30, 40, 50. And then anything past 50, in my opinion, needs to be absolutely exact. I think I, I shoot a lot at distance. I absolutely think there's a difference between 61 and 63. Um, so I, I want to know, I want that pin to be exact as far as if I, if I choose to shoot a deer at a further range and I have, um, I just want to make sure that that is the accent. I don't want any doubt. You know, if that deer's right. chilling at, at, at 61 or 63, I want to shoot a relaxed deer at that distance. Um, but I want to be as precise as I can or I don't want to be like, well, just hold on, hold on his back. Or I just, that's just not going to cut it. I just don't, I don't, I feel like I owe that deer a lot more than and just kind of guessing, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah. You're making me want to go shoot in the wind. What you were talking about with even kneeling, because I've I don't I've never done that particularly, right? Like it makes a ton of sense. And obviously, you think about all the time shooting with a rifle of like get as low as you can, get as much ground contact as you can. But yeah, and I'm not talking just kneeling. I'm talking like like get on your knees and like spread out like like you're, yeah you know like a, like a catcher would like get get as wide as you can and it's a different feeling but dang it it is way more solid yeah mm. yeah. <clears throat> yeah so it just really takes take practice yeah you got to really concentrate on on good good form good back elbow good all you know all that's got to be money because it'll be it'll be a little different you know, as far as just standing there shooting in your driveway, you know, just standing up, it, it, it constant, your form has to be, at least for me, when I get down low like that, I really concentrate on follow through and all that. I just, I shoot, I don't shoot worse, but when I first started doing it, I did shoot worse. And, and really it was probably just not practicing that very often, but and now anymore, very, I don't, don't hardly ever stand up shooting the deer just because I'm, for one, I'm crawling getting cactus in my legs and everything else. But, um, yeah, just, just standing, uh, is, is a little less beneficial than getting, like you're saying, with shooting a rifle, getting low, getting a wide base, getting solid, you know, definitely, uh, some to practice. You were talking about, uh, approaches above and below. And, you know, one thing again, just comparing to what's just so commonly talked about and in, in that high country context is obviously things like thermals. And oftentimes guys are, Making stalks on bedded beer, uh, on bedded deer, the thermals are rising, the uphill approach, that type of thing. It sounds like, for the most part, you're dealing a ton with true wind, not just thermals. Yeah. Um, and you could be approaching from above or below. Uh, yeah, that's just a, I think it's another difference there. It is. Yeah, no, it, that is, uh, I would say, a difference. And, and a lot of times, you know, even walking around, like if I'm, if I'm hunting an area, you know, I, I'm spending a very little amount of time on a, I, I just get nervous if I'm like, say silhouetted on the skyline or something like that. So I'm always, you know, trying to come, if I'm going to shoot a deer, I, I would rather come side hill, get even with them and come around that way. I feel like they've picked me out differently, but I will never pass up a good backdrop, like such as this year's experience. Like 
mm-hmm. finding a good cedar. If I if I need to expose myself, fine, but I'm going to do that behind, you know, a cover, whether it be a boulder, um, a, a, a kind of a funky terrain feature, um, you know, stuff like that. And, and then just always when you, when you're, when you're getting into those deer, you really need, like I said earlier, you just got to know where they are or none of that crap matters. You know, as far as if they change the angle on you, what you picked out as a good terrain feature, isn't going to be a good terrain feature because they're hundred, hundred yards further up or down the Canyon. And that cover that you're behind, you're not going to be behind it from the deer's perspective, you know? So mm-hmm. just, you know, when they're moving, just be patient. They're going to lay down uh, just, you know, when they're moving, you just got to be careful as far as what's going on. And, and, and the hardest part really in this, in this, I would say in the beginning of the year, it's not too hard because usually you're hunting bachelor up bucks. At least we are here. Um, but like this year shooting a deer late, this is the latest I've ever shot a mule deer on December 16th. You know, I had to count for so many does and I, I had, I'd had everything, what I thought would be, you know, pegged out, but then all of a sudden, Oh, there's a doe. I didn't see she's bedded way high on a hill. And, and that, that basically takes my entire approach out of the game because she's going to see me a hundred yards before I see the deer that I'm trying to get at, you know? So just, just surveying where that that's what determines for me, if I'm going to come from above or below and the shadow and exposure and all that, but is really where the deer are and where the, where the deer are that I don't intend to shoot, where are they? And if I have to come from below to be out of their vision, fine. And if I got to come above to be out of their vision, fine. It's just a matter of figuring that out. Yeah. That's cool. Nick. I've, Never hunted mule deer in South Dakota. Uh, don't know if or when that I will, but I just yeah. love talking with people with a different contexts, right? Because it gives me ideas. It opens up my thinking, right? Like get outside of the box of what I'm used to. So I'm I'm pulling stuff from this conversation that, you know, is specific to your context and I'm going to apply it to something else, which is cool. Sure. No, it's fun, man. It's a, it's a whole different, I don't know, for, at least for me, it's a whole different deal. Even hunting in Alaska, I mean, uh, like moose and, and bear, that's all in stuff you can see, you know, 10 feet, but that's about it, you know, other than getting up on a hike spot. But even then you're looking in some pretty, pretty thick stuff, but just out here, you know, we can, you know, you can see maybe not a deer you want to shoot every day, but finding the deer is the least of your problems it, as, as far as laying eyes on it. You know, you can take a picture through a phone scope all the time on some sweet ass deer, but it's just getting close is the problem, you know, as far as, you know, getting in there in their bubble is a whole different ball game. And and to be honest, I don't do it a whole lot just because it's uh, I don't like the odds. You know, I I, I won't do it unless I intend on shooting that deer. Uh, I just don't. Now, practice wise, that's a whole different story. If If I get a guy that comes out here and wants to come go with me. I'll have him stock everything that beds down just to get some stocks under your belt. You know, it's just a way, way better thing to do than than have the first one be a 160 inch deer that you want to shoot. So, right. Sorry. That jet's flying over again. No, you're good, man. This is totally changed the subject, but it came up when we were chatting a couple weeks ago. uh, And I want to dive into what could be a whole nother podcast, but you were talking about how much you, enjoy and have the opportunity to just test different gear and you were joking like ah you know don't have kids <laughs> my budget goes towards gear not kids type thing yeah um so we could take that in a whole bunch of directions but to narrow it down and just kind of wrap things up like wh- having tested so many different things and play with so many different things like what's either something new or recent that you're really finding value in or having gone through a lot of things over the years like what are your mainstays now of like yep i've tested this that and the other thing but like truly believe in this and you can keep that in the context of anything right like shooting setup clothing whatever you want yeah um yeah that's i have i have a three-bedroom house two of my bedrooms are full of hunting stuff so uh (laughs) (laughs) this goes this thing goes a lot a lot of ways here um for me one of the biggest things for me is boots um, finding, finding boots that I, I can, I'm, I'm six, four, two I'm a lot bigger critter and, and, uh, ankles aren't the best. So as far as finding a set of boots for me, they're lower GTX hunters. I've tried everything and that's what fits me the best. Um, 
you know, pack wise, I, I run an XOK too. I've done it since the day they came out. That thing has had a lot of miles on it. And it's been, been great for me, for my body type, how I'm going to pack to fit the simplicity of it. Um, it's got everything I need. It doesn't have a lot that I don't need. So I, I like those. Um, but if you had to tell me one thing that I had to, you know, give up and that I absolutely wouldn't, it would be, um, probably a, you know, binoculars on a tripod. I, I would rather give up my bow than give up my binoculars on a tripod. Um, I, as far as out here, uh, Steve, you, you did a review years ago that got me onto this freaking ProMaster tripod. I think that's the brand anyway. Um, mm-hmm. it, a long time ago. And, and, uh, I just have the, uh, I think you did a review on a five. I did, I have a three section. I don't think they make it anymore, mm-hmm. but I still run that tripod to this day. I, and I can't tell you how much, how the torture that thing's been through. Um, so I, I run that a lot, that ProMaster tripod with an outdoorsman's pan head, um, which is another piece of gear that I, I really recommend guys, you know, hiding away some money and buying one of those. I really love that thing. I can, when it comes down to picking apart a hillside of cedars, the ability to lock your pan, not only up and down, but left and right, and literally grid search a hillside over and over again. Um, and, and know that you're, there's a system to it. Like you're not just grabbing something, getting it loose and then like just moving it around. Like you're taking it, locking your vertical axis and panning left to right, and then locking your left to right, go down and then go and then lock your down and go right to left. You know what I'm saying? Like you can literally grid a hillside and know that you're catching everything. And I, I mean, I've seen, I've seen freaking rabbits crawling around a thousand yards through a set of 12 by fifties, you know, like you, you're going to catch a tail flicker, an ear, an antler main beam like through a rock solid binocular, even if you can't afford a spotter, I'm not saying you need one, but I run 12 by fifties out here on a tripod and there's nothing I can't see. If I, if I'm patient enough to look right, if I'm patient enough to actually sit behind the glass and, and, and really systematically search something that looks like there should be a deer. Um, That would be probably my biggest my biggest piece of gear that I couldn't go without would probably be that outdoorsman's pan head with a binoculars of your choice, whatever you can afford would be my, you know, my, my biggest thing out here because visually you can look at so much, you know, like I'm, I'm using those 12 by fifties to their highest potential because I'm looking, you know, thousand yards, sometimes a mile. I'm seeing deer through 12 by fifties bedded only about a half of their face at a mile. Granted, the sun's at my back. It's lighting them up. It's doing most of the work, but mm-hmm. that's a that's a huge advantage. And I mean, I just stumbled upon that about eight years ago. I was going up. I was shed hunting actually, going up a hillside, gassed, and there goes about four deer busting out of the bottom. And I happened to be next to this big railroad tie fence post that this rancher put in vertically, and I set my binoculars on it. It was about the perfect height, and all of a sudden I, I could see the deer go away, but then I started seeing stuff through like an absolutely still pair of binoculars. And then I was like, okay, I understand what the hype's about. Like, this is way different than my best day, you know, locking my hat brim and my elbows and all that stuff. Like that's way different than what I'm doing now with an absolutely still, you know, piece of glass. And so and that's a, that's a huge deal to me. And, and I joke around with a couple of guys like, if I'm out mule deer hunting, take my bow, but don't take my freaking binoculars and tripod because I'm, <laughs> I'm using that. I'm using that, you know, 97% of the time. Um, so that, that would be probably the, the, one of my biggest things. And, you know, other than that, I'm always trying knives and freaking flashlights and cook systems and sleeping bags and tents and all, uh, yeah. tent stoves. That's just, it's just a hobby of mine that I really enjoy. Yeah. You know, Oh, cool, man. Nick, it's been a blast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for the invite. I, I appreciate it. Never done anything like this before, so I didn't really know what I was getting into, but it's been super cool. So I, I appreciate it again. Yeah, you bet, dude. Um, before I let you go, just if listeners want to ask you a question or just follow oh, along sure. with your hunts and stuff like that, what's yeah, the, um, like social media the best way to follow along? Probably, yeah. I, I got a 
a Facebook page, just Nick, Nick Sabo, or I do have Instagram, um, not on there as much as some, but uh, in Sabo 380 at uh, is my Instagram. So cool. Yeah, man. Anything it'd be love, love to chat with people or talk to them about whatever. So um, lately it's a bunch of firefighting pictures on there probably, but uh, we'll get, we'll get into deer hunting and, and whatnot here soon. So. Well, there you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed that one and learned something from it as I did. Don't forget about the giveaway happening now in May of 21. Again, you can enter by leaving us a podcast review, sharing the show on Instagram and tagging Hunt Backcountry, or emailing us with your hunting question or topic suggestion for a future show. And you can just send that to podcast at exomountgear.com. We will talk to you soon.